Rescued is a podcast of conversations with rescuers and those who've been rescued. It's about the lessons we learn about ourselves, the places we go and why, without judgment, to help us have better adventures, manage risk and deal with the unexpected. We venture into wild places to get away from it all. But when it comes to calling for help, letting someone know we're delayed, or even just giving our loved ones peace of mind, we have to rely on satellite communication methods because mobile phone coverage often doesn't reach to where we want to go. In this episode, I speak with Linda Berryman from AMSA. That's the Australian Maritime Safety Authority in Canberra. We do a deep dive into personal locator beacons that's PLBs, along with two-way communication devices such as Zolio, InReach or Spot Trackers. And yep, we also talk about the satellite capability with the iPhone 14 and some other very exciting technology that's just around the corner. So Linda, why don't we kick it off by just letting people know a little bit about your world and, and how you ended up working at AMSA and what your job is there? I've been very fortunate to work at AMSA for about 18 years and prior to that, I worked in the private industry, working for one of the manufacturers for distress alerting devices. So essentially, I've specialised in distress alerting technologies and systems for about 20 plus years. Wow. So both sides then of the of the coin. Yeah. So I've been, it's a, such a great opportunity uh, where I can learn about the products technically, but also bring that into that policy, government and standard development and influence uh, how search and rescue is performed. You talked about AMSA then. For those of us who don't know, just tell us well, what does AMSA stand for and what's the what does it do and how does it sit within government? So the Australian Maritime Safety Authority, so they have more than one function and so they are the national system regulator for domestic commercial vessels. They also look after search and rescue in Australia and they also are responsible in relation to environmental pollution. So it's got several roles and responsibilities. So as a, a bushwalker or a hiker and outdoor adventurer, how would we interact with AMSA? What kind of role can you guys play within our experience of, of how we venture into wild places? So essentially, if you were to purchase a 406 megahertz distress beacon, so whether that's a PLB, EPIRB or ELT, they need to be registered and you can register those with AMSA and that's a free registration service. Uh, we also provide um, customer service if you have any difficulties with that process or would like to navigate the space of distress alerting beacons or devices and how that system works. Uh, you can certainly contact us for further assistance. So in relation to how bushwalkers may engage with AMSA, I think it might primarily be around the PLB and registering it with AMSA. You mentioned three different acronyms there, so the PLB, the EPIRB and the ELT. Can you just give me a quick overview of what's the difference between those three? Sure. So a PLB, Personal Locator Beacon, that's a small, compact, lightweight, multi-environment friendly device. Uh, and whereas an EPIRB is an emergency position indicating radio beacon, so they're a bigger, bulkier device designed for maritime use primarily and they're designed to float in the water essentially. And more commonly, they're associated with a vessel. And an ELT is an emergency locating transmitter, and they're designed and fitted in an aircraft so they can be, say, crash impact activated. So a PLB is multi-environment in that it can be used for land, maritime, or aviation. They're small, and you can carry them with you. 
Yeah. And given how much, you know, we, when we carry everything on our back, we want to keep everything as lightweight and as compact as possible. It sounds like a POV is definitely the, the way we want to be heading when we, when we think about taking a beacon with us. Now, you mentioned something else there. You said a 406 beacon as well. So what's that 406 megahertz? What does that refer to? Good question. So a 406 megahertz is the distress frequency that is used in a PLB, and that is detected by the International COSPAS SARSAT satellite system, which is dedicated to search and rescue. Ah, nice. Okay, so there's satellites up, up there above us zooming around that don't have to worry about things like telecommunications or any other comms. They just focus on rescue um, around the world. Is that correct? The COSPAS-SARSAT satellites, uh, they're not a dedicated just to COSPAS-SARSAT. What they are generally is like a payload, which is, say, the size of a shoebox, which is installed on board a, say, a weather satellite. And so it's uh, orbiting, but it has the capability of detecting the 406 megahertz. Okay. So who owns those satellites? They're government-owned, so it's a combination of uh, USA, Canada, France and Russia. But if I say I buy a PLB here in Australia and I take it with me anywhere in the world, am I still going to be able to use it anywhere in the world? Yes. So 406 megahertz is an international distress frequency, so it's detected there's global coverage for that signal. Ah, okay, fantastic. Okay, good to know. So we've got a PLB. I know the 406 is the the rescue frequency internationally. I can use it anywhere in the world. Now, you also mentioned that something AMSA does is have a registration system. So talk to me a bit about that. Yes, so it's really important uh, that when you purchase a distress beacon that you register it with AMSA. And that includes details such as your name, address, phone number, your emergency contact details, you can provide up to between one and three name and phone numbers. You can also provide, so let's say it's for land use, you could provide your vehicle details. You could also include and recommend things like uh, trip details. So you can include um, the route you're traveling, how many people in the group, the dates, you know, ETA, what sort of supplies you've got, um, any medical conditions. So in the event that that beacon is detected, that information is presented in real time to the search and rescue officer. And that potentially could be critical information that could uh, certainly assist in a more efficient and effective coordination and response. Okay, wow. Okay, so I've got my beacon, I've gone to AMSA, I've registered all the details and, and that trip intentions form sounds great. So that's something I can log into sort of regularly every time I do a trip. Is that sort of how that works? Yeah, it's all online. So you have full control of your registration details and your trip details if you would like to lodge them. Uh, you can even upload images or photos. Mm-hmm. Some pe- some people take a photo of themselves or their family, uh, even their vehicle, uh, their vessel, if it's linked to a vessel uh, or an aircraft. So it's a free text comment box. So you can enter it as much information as you would like. And what about uploading, say, um, a map, say a map with a route plan on it? Could I do that as well? Yeah. The more information you can provide, I think, would be great. If you weren't to upload and provide that information, then it's really important that people consider in notifying their nominated emergency contacts that information. When you say when a beacon is detected, so 
let's say I am out on a trip and, and I need to turn the beacon on. Is it, is it a confusing thing to use, this PLB, or how does, you know, what do I see? How does someone use that? I think it's really important before you even embark on an adventure, always familiarise yourself with your safety equipment. And so there is a user manual available with the product and there's also guidance available written on the product as well. And some products have a little bit of nuances, but essentially with the PLB, you need to, when you need to activate it, you need to erect the antenna or deploy the antenna into a vertical position. And then you'll be able to see an on or activation button and you need to press that. So all distress beacons have a two-step activation process. And that's really essentially to minimize any inadvertent alerts. You'd feel pretty bad if you thought, oh, no, I don't want to accidentally set it off or it's down the bottom of my pack or I've dropped it and it's bounced down the stairs or something. Yeah, and look, that can happen and don't worry. Accidental activations do happen, but if it does, don't panic. Just switch it off immediately and call AMSA on one 641 792 and there's no penalty for accidental activation. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. So I'll put that number and links to AMSA in the show notes as well. So there'll be lots of places people can go for more info. But when you do activate the PLB, maybe just to elaborate a little bit further what to expect, that is, is also beneficial to understand. And so you'll see a, the strobe light will start flashing and you'll hear an audible beep sound. And so that gives you the reassurance that the beacon is functioning and it's transmitting. There's also some models, if you were to buy one with a return link service, that means you'll get an acknowledgement message that the distress alert message has been received. And that'll be displayed as a different colour light on the PLB. Okay. So there's some models on the market that display a blue LED light. Yeah. Is that a relatively new functionality? Uh, yeah. It's been available in Australia since October. Oh, 2022. Okay, that's great. Because I guess that's something, because a PLB is, it's just a one-way device in many regards, isn't it? You can't actually, you know, unless you have, like you say, one of these newer ones that can give us that message or the different colour light that's been received. And I've heard people say, look, I, I pushed the button, but I just didn't know if help was on the way. Exactly. So historically, uh, 406 megahertz distress beacons have been a one-way transmission device but we've seen that advancement in technology now where we're now seeing them equipped with return link service as an option so when you go to buy your PLB have a look at the different models available uh, on the market and if it's got RLS then you may like to consider that and it will give you that reassurance of capability of confirming the message has been received. Also, just to maybe extend that a little bit further, so that return link service message confirmation, that will give you the reassurance that the message has been received, but it does not mean that help is on the way. So it's still important that you maintain your survivability until help is on the way. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, gosh, if you sort of knew or you saw that, um, hey, oh, look, help's coming, you might go, oh, I've only got one Mars bar left. I'm going to. Yes. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't drink all your water and eat all your food supplies. Um, <laughs> you still need to stretch it out. Yeah, because there's a lot of things that can affect the timeliness of of help reaching you, you know, whether it be availability of resources or or weather conditions, those kind of things. So, and I, I guess it always comes back to being 
well prepared that anytime you go out, you've got things with you that you can, you know, if, if circumstances change, you can look after yourself, you know, a little bit of that emergency food and, you know, some shelter, some warm clothes, those kind of things. Yeah, that's right. So we've let a beacon off, a PLB, and, you know, let's say we do have that RLS return link service um, technology in one of the newer ones there, and I can see that well, the message has been received. What can we expect then? What what actually happens that we don't see, like at your end of things? Like what happens in, in Canberra and what happens up in the satellites? In the event that you've activated the beacon and it's been deployed and positioned correctly, uh, then what will happen is that the 406 megahertz is detected by the International COSPAS satellite system. That information is relayed to a ground station, which is known as a local user terminal. And that is then forwarded to the Mission Control Centre, which is also based in Canberra. And they then relay the distress message to the Rescue Coordination Centre. And then the RCC will then identify the appropriate asset or resource to be tasked. And that's actually an automated process. So it, it happens very quickly. So that 406 megahertz distress beacon, when you activate it, the first burst or transmission is sent 50 seconds after you activate the beacon. Right. So we're normally detecting that beacon within a couple of minutes. It's very quick. Wow. And you've mentioned um, there about positioning correctly, and I think that's something that we need to be aware of too. So the, the places that we go, the environments we find ourselves in, they're in canyons or gullies and that kind of thing what what should we do and think about before we actually push that button so briefly before i mentioned that the aerial must be vertical so in other words it needs to be pointing towards the sky preferably 180 degrees visibility and away from trees buildings mountains vehicles you basically you want to ensure that the beacon is positioned in a clear and open area and if possible, positioning it at the highest point. So if you're in a deep ravine or gully, you may have to consider repositioning yourself if that's possible. Uh, and it's all got to do with line of sight or elevation angle of the satellite. And so sometimes um, the mountain may block visibility for a particular satellite. And this is regardless of whatever device you're using. Uh, you need to have visibility of that satellite system. Mm. And so mountains can block that that's something to be mindful of uh, but with the COSPAS SARSAT satellite system it actually comprises of three different constellations and they're positioned at different elevation angles and so there's the LEO system, MEO and GEO. Some of them are polar orbiting and some of them are geostationary. So with those LEO, MEO and GEO, the first layer, is that that's the LEO, isn't it? The first layer, yeah. the low earth orbit? Yeah. And so what, what's then the MEO and the GEO? Uh, so they're a higher altitude or elevation Okay. Uh, compared to the Leo, a lot, a lot higher, <laughs> a lot higher. Okay, and so, yeah. and you mentioned, you know, it's it's about this line of sight and the maximum sky above us, because I guess if the those the Leo and the the Mio are spinning around over, you know, circling around the Earth, if if there's only a, a small slit of sky above us, say we're in a canyon, then the period of time that that satellite's above us is going to be pretty short, isn't it? Yeah, so the the way 
best way to explain it is that the geos so we have coverage over australia with the geo constellation ah. because that's uh say fixed relative to the earth okay uh we have coverage of australia with the meo so you only need three meo satellites to have worldwide coverage oh, cool. and we already have that established the leo satellites because they're polar orbiting they average an orbit say every average of 90 minutes but can be up to five hours mm. uh, and so their footprint keeps moving got it what you'll find is you're going to have a very strong possibility of being detected by the geo the meo as long as there's just no obstruction you essentially need to ensure that the plb is positioned in the correct position to enable detection by the satellite system Great. Okay. So I'm going to come back in a little bit to to why the, that LEO, MEO and GEO might come into play with some of the other devices we might talk about later as well. So we've now got our beacon, we've, we've set it off, we've got it in the best position we can. And obviously that's, that's you know, going to depend on their circumstances too. And, and certainly, you know, the last thing you want to do if, if you've got an injury um, is to injure yourself more or, you know, potentially open yourself up to, you know, slipping or falling by trying to get to a, a higher higher place. Because um, anecdotally I've heard from people within police rescue that they're amazed at how how effective PLBs are, even within narrow gullies and within narrow, narrow slots and places like that. So I guess that's something to always keep in mind is to just, you know, make, make wise, well thought out and measured, measured decisions. That's right. So going back to what happens when you push the button, you said it goes up to the satellites and down to the LUT. Local user terminal. And then bounces to another one and then ends up in that rescue center what was the name of the center rescue coordination center okay so the rescue coordination center now that's in canberra and that's is that staffed like 24 7 or how does what does that look like inside so the amsa response center has got uh staff members that specialize in maritime aviation and land mm -hmm. so they've got that operational expertise from industry and they bring that into the rescue coordination center so that they're suitably skilled and have the knowledge to help with the coordination and response. Mm, right. I'm fascinated. I'm kind of imagining, you know, like uh, those those movies with it's sort of like a, a Houston, you know, with the big screens all up on the wall and dark in oh, the yes. room and everyone's got this blue glow on their faces from the screens. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a lot of screens, I must say. <laughs> so so a call comes in and it's landed there at the, um, at the RCC. What happens then? Uh, so essentially when the distress beacon is detected, the registration details are presented straight away. It's all automated. And those details are presented so they can see the name of the owner of the beacon, mm -hmm. contact details, emergency contacts, and any potential trip details that have been lodged. And then the idea is that uh, if required and they require further intelligence, they may need to contact the nominated emergency contact to a verify the nature of distress or concern for welfare for that individual or persons or group and then gather some additional intelligence or information and if that location of distress is identified or confirmed on land the search and rescue coordination response is transferred to the state police and 
if the state police require further assistance from AMSA, then they can seek that as well. I guess there's something um, that I forgot to, to ask you about then too is what if, you know, let's say my beacon goes off, my name comes up on the screen like, oh, not Caro again, you know. <laughs> Would they try and ring me direct? Because what if it's a, like to verify it's not an accidental activation? That's right. So the search and rescue officer can attempt to call the registered owner and all the emergency contacts in that process. Massive thanks for the support from the team at Paddy Palin, who since 1930 have been leaders in travel and outdoor adventure. In fact, did you know that Paddy himself, a member of the Sydney Bushwalkers Club, was a volunteer in the original search and rescue arm of the Federation of Bushwalking Clubs in New South Wales? Hmm, nice one, Paddy. Now, something I'd heard about the 406 megahertz beacons is that they're also picked up by planes and other aircraft. Is that how, do, how does that all work and what happens if they do pick one up? Yeah, so the 406 megahertz distress beacons also transmit on 1 to 1.5 megahertz. That is the international aviation distress frequency and it's also utilised for homing purposes. So to explain that in a little bit more detail, if AMSA uh, or a asset or resource is tasked to respond, they can utilise direction homing equipment. Mm. And once they're tasked to a set location, once they get close uh, or closer to the area, they can utilise the direction finding equipment to home in on the 1 to 1.5 megahertz. Right. Um, but some direction finding equipment also has the 406 homing capability as well. But the idea is that once they're in the vicinity, they have a homing frequency of which enables them to try and find the person or persons in distress. And that's when you want to utilise your visual aids. That's the benefit. Uh, once you're hearing or seeing someone looking uh, or, an, or a plane flying overhead, use some visual aids to pinpoint your location and help them because they're homing in on a frequency uh, but certainly the visual aids can help there as well. And then in the event that the any aircraft overflying are detecting 1 to 1.5 megahertz, they report that to air traffic control, who then subsequently report that to the rescue coordination centre. And that's another piece of intelligence that comes into the rescue centre, which can help them collaborate that beacon that's transmitting. Yeah, that's really, really good to know. So with that homing capability, do you know how accurate that is? Like is it sort of, you know, does it give the location to within, you know, a kilometre or a couple of hundred metres or what's what's sort of the, the area that they're going to start looking for us in? So the 406 megahertz, uh, that is just a standard frequency. So that's a five kilometre circular radius mm. accuracy. And the GNSS equipped or GPS equipped is what more is more commonly referred to or known as, that's 120 metres accuracy. But what we're seeing is PLBs, you can only buy a PLB with GPS in them these days. So you automatically can safely say that, yes, 120 metres accuracy. What's also beneficial to understand is that the MEO uh, constellation, the COSPASARSAT, has the capability of triangulating and calculating your location in conjunction with that GNSS data that's coming in. So we have a secondary source and ability of being able to calculate your location as well, which is uh, just as or um, once it's at full constellation will be more accurate than the GNSS. That's that's amazing. That'll be a big help for emergency services for sure. Now I want to pick up on something you mentioned there, like when you hear that there's 
you know, potentially aircraft in the air or you might even hear people calling out or whistling or something like that if there's a ground party coming to you. What are some of the things that we could do in terms of that visual, making ourselves, you know, visually aware so so it's easy to find? Oh, sure. So a couple of ideas. Uh, a, the beacon will have a strobe light or a, a LED that's flashing. So there's a light source. Uh, you may have a strobe light. Uh, you may like to consider lighting a fire or get some smoke going, as long as it's not a fire hazard, of course. You don't want to create another problem for yourself. Otherwise, a contrasting colour uh, would also be beneficial to outlay. Yeah. Or some people even consider, say, a V-sheet that is commonly known in the marine industry, so a big orange sheet of plastic which has black letter V on it. So that can also enable that pinpointing. So bright colours, even um, like, you know, if you're not using it with a patient, those silver emergency blankets are great. Yeah. Coloured clothing, um, torches, head torches, yep. camera flashes, if anyone still carries camera flashes, um, anything that's going to, you know, help help that aircraft or people find us. And, and your own whistles, if you've got them, some people have got whistles on there that will clip on their pack these days. Yep. Lots of different ways. The old timers uh, may remember the days when we use a mirror for signalling or even an old CD or DVD. Um, well, you still could. Uh, I think there were some PLB models, I think in a top cap that you removed, there was um, some reflective tape, uh, mirror-like substance, oh, cool. and you just use that to reflect the sunlight. So, yes, Beautiful. you can still use things like that. Great. I've got a couple of questions. A couple of things come to mind is... It's great to know that, you know, we can see that it's working by that RLS technology, that that ability that says, yes, your message has been received. But how can we make sure we're actually taking out a beacon that's that's working? Oh, excellent question. So before we're talking about um, preparedness, familiarise yourself with your safety equipment. And so part of that uh, on the product is a self-test button. And so... Information is also detailed in the user manual as well about how frequently to conduct a self-test and how that will function. And essentially what that would do is you can press the self-test button to test it in a test environment but not send a distress alert message. Great. And then when you put it in self-test mode, you'll get to see a flashing uh, strobe light, LED light, and you'll hear a little beep for about two to three seconds and that will give you the reassurance the product is functioning correctly. And if in the event that doesn't work for you, that would indicate you need to contact the manufacturer as it may require some servicing. Yeah. So speaking of servicing, PLBs have got a, a pretty good battery life, don't they? You don't have to recharge them or anything or, you know, change out your old double A's or anything. Yeah. Look, at their designed and tested to have an inbuilt battery and a guarantee to function whenever required over anywhere from five to a 10-year period. Wow. And so uh, have a look at the battery life on the model. Uh, they do vary between different models, but I am seeing up to 10 years. So Linda, that's a lot of information that's great around the PLB, that sort of very basic one button, one job kind of a device connected directly to us here in Australia, to AMSA in Australia. But there's lots of other kind of options out there as well. But before we move on, is there anything else that we need to know about using a PLB and, you know, making sure they're 
as effective as they can be? Sure. So I think one other additional handy hint I could elaborate on is that if you're finding yourself in a situation where you need to activate your beacon, it's really important uh, deployment in that you don't hold the PLB. Okay. So do we put it on the ground or on top of a, a backpack or something? What's What's going to work? Yeah, preferably on the ground on a flat surface uh, so that the antenna is vertical. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to hold the PLB because potentially your hand is going to cover the circuitry and where the GPS is positioned. And that might prevent detection with the GPS and won't give us that accuracy that we're looking for. Mm. Another handy hint also is if you're seeing the helicopter or the aircraft flying above uh, looking for you, don't turn the beacon off. Please keep it on uh, because the helicopter, as we mentioned, or the aircraft we talked about before, is utilising that homing frequency to home in and locate you. And don't assume that they have seen you. So it's really important to use those visual aids as well. And then once you do activate the PLB, uh, recommend you remain in your position. Don't move around. Uh, and then, uh, importantly, seeking your shelter, your food, water, and medical supplies. Okay. So even if you can hear aircraft around and you don't turn it off, what about, let's say, for instance, you're in a situation where, let's say something's gone wrong and you've set off the beacon and you've started sort of processing things, but then oh, the situation that had gone bad has suddenly righted itself. Let's say maybe you were temporarily lost and you, you found yourselves again. Should you then turn off the beacon? Like, let's say, you know, a little bit of time has passed. Yeah, good question. It's really important that if some time has passed where you've had that beacon active, you could safely assume that a coordination response has already been initiated. And so it's really at that point, it's critical you make your way so you've got some two-way communication and ring the rescue coordination centre and let them know that you're safe and well and that assistance is not required. So the sooner you can establish that two-way communication, the better. Because there's something there, I guess it's a step even before you get to the point of pushing the button is to to look for other ways of communicating first. Like, you know, don't don't maybe the PLB isn't the first thing you pick up to check, but to, yeah, to check if you do have mobile phone coverage and maybe it's with a different um, carrier or maybe someone else in your group has a phone with a different carrier that might have coverage. So I guess that's a little bit of a, oh, hey, you know, let, before we go, uh, go the full red on the traffic light, let's go the amber and just check. Oh, indeed. I mean, two-way communication by mobile satellite phone is, the most effective way of communicating Uh, and so ringing that triple o is uh, so you can enable that communication you know the nature of distress what level of assistance is required and then the right asset or resource can be tasked appropriately and it gives you that reassurance that help is on the way roughly when and they can talk you through and give you some guidance if required Um, and you know giving some updates as well so i think that that is essential in understanding and If in the event for consideration, let's say you're in distress, but you don't know your location, then you can advise the operator that, hey, I've got a PLB, would you like me to activate it? And that will then give them the intelligence of your location. Mm -hmm. And then the emergency services can contact AMSA to obtain those location details and that can assist them with the coordination response through the emergency services network. So the two systems can work together. And I guess we've also now got that uh, that great app, the Emergency Plus app, 
on our phones that if we are talking with someone on triple O, we can, you know, look at our lat long location through that or even the old what three words, which is now becoming more popular as well. So, yeah, that, that two-way communication is, it, it, it assists in other ways, which sounds like an amazing segue there, Linda. <laughs> into talking about some of the other options that are available for us. So, you know, up until now we've talked about PLBs, but let's talk about some of the other options on the market for us. So these ones are more, I'm calling them the third-party device. It's a two-way communication and it's different to a PLB. So um, some brand names that people might be familiar with are a Garmin InReach, a Zolio, a Spot Tracker. I don't know if you're familiar with some other names, Linda, but... Um, oh, yes, there's quite a few. Oh, there's quite a few. Okay. <laughs> right. This is sounding like it, we're going down a big rabbit hole here. But um, what's the, what are the key differences between a PLB, that one button, one job, and one of these other sort of um, two-way devices? Yeah, sure. So we are seeing uh, probably an overwhelming choice and selection of these alternative distress alerting devices and two-way communication equipment. And so the term used is a SEND, and that's a satellite emergency notification device. And essentially, that's a two-way communication device that includes that SOS function as well as messaging but they utilize a commercial satellite constellation. Mm. Uh, and so there's three different satellite constellations at the moment. There's Iridium, Global Star, and Thorea. Mm -hmm. And they usually require a registration and a subscription service fee that needs to be paid. Okay. So that's, I guess, a couple of differences there you're talking about. So it's the, the satellite system it uses to communicate is different um, and they're a commercial one. So um, unlike the COSPAS SARSAT, which is a government-owned um, satellite. So a PLB, it's not only a one-button, one-job, it's it's a one-fee once-off. Um, you pay and you buy the device and you have it and you don't pay anything yeah. more. But these these other devices, yeah, so you buy the device and then it's a, it's a subscription on top of that, isn't it? That's right, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. So rather than uh, get deep dive into the intricacies of <laughs> subscription plans, and they're all going to be different based on a which device and which of those satellite networks that device is paired with, the prices are going to be, you know, different. And some of them have got options. You can, you don't have to be tied in. You can put it on hold. Like, let's say you, you buy the device for, for a big trip, but then you're not going to be using it for a while. You could actually, you know, Put your subscription hold, but you'd want to you'd want to make sure you you reactivate it, wouldn't you? Oh, indeed, and, and that's one area that people need to be mindful of. That these uh, two way communication devices don't work unless you pay the subscription fee. Ah, is that and is that even the case with the SOS capability? Yeah, the SOS and the messaging doesn't work if you don't pay the subscription fee. The best thing to look at is probably the coverage. So, if you're in Australia. What you'll find is um, those three constellations have, so Iridium is 100% global coverage, but Global Star and Thorea have got some coverage limitations. And so you need to be familiar with those coverage areas in comparison to where you're planning on traveling, particularly overseas. So do a little bit of research uh, just to make sure that that device and the coverage meets your requirements. Because there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of choices you said with the different kinds of brands and different 
offerings and, you know, different marketing campaigns coming from the different brands. But there's some real value in having the types of capabilities that these devices offer. So let's maybe look at what some of those benefits would be. Yeah, sure. I think ultimately the attraction point for most people is that two-way messaging. Yeah. Uh, And also tracking. I I think that's also a common feedback that I hear. Yeah, absolutely. I know um, friends of mine who, you know, their, their partner or their loved one doesn't tend to go on adventures and, you know, they might go out on an adventure and they, they it's like, oh, you know, I can send send my partner a, a message at night and say, hey, got to camp, setting up, all good, or I'm camping here, send beer, you know, all the important yes. messages, those kind of things. Um, and, and that's certainly something you don't get with that one button, one job PLV, is it? No, it, it does require, some of the models require a little bit more to set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really depends on how confident you feel with that extra functionality and technology and interacting with it. Because I guess one of the other things is is battery life as well. Yes. These other devices, these two-way devices, you need to, you know, you need to keep power to them, don't you? Oh, indeed. And so every model's different. Some have got user-replaceable batteries, some require recharge. So really about understanding your intended trip and duration and what sort of battery consumption you may be looking at. And if you require to carry, say, spare batteries or extra charging uh, capabilities. And so you might have it in tracking mode for so many days, Mm. but then you the SOS button, is there going to be enough battery life left uh, for that? So it's just having a look at the technical specifications for each device and understanding the capabilities and duration with that battery. It's like um, there's a lot of pluses, there's a, a few minuses, and I guess the thinking would be to take your time if you're going to you're thinking about buying one of these devices is to try and maybe look at, well, what outcomes do you want? What sort of functionality do you want it to have and what, yeah. what circumstances and where in the, in the on the planet are you planning on using it as well? Oh, there's, there is a lot of lot to consider. Uh, I, I definitely recommend, say, drawing up like a little checklist, mm. uh, the pros and cons and what your requirements are and making sure that it meets your expectations. Because I know there's um, some of the devices, not just tracking, but um, which is allows your loved ones to see through a, a web link uh, web page they can go and see a map and, you know, see you as a little blue yeah. dot or something like that. Yeah, it leaves like breadcrumbs. A That's right. Yeah, 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 which I guess the other thing that these two-way devices give, which is is kind of a bit of an intangible, it's not really a, a hard capability in effect, but it's that peace of mind for, the, and it's not necessarily for you, the person having the adventure, it's it's peace of mind for your loved ones, for someone who, who might be, you know, um, concerned for your well-being or they just want that comfort of knowing that you're okay, you know, you've given, you've sent them the I'm okay button during the day yeah. or you've said, hey, I'm camping here tonight or even giving, um, I think one of the benefits is to be able to alleviate a potential rescue by letting someone know, hey, look, you know, I'm doing okay. I've just got bad blisters. I'm just going to be slow. I'll I'll, I'll be a day late. Yeah, good point as well uh, because sometimes the family are expecting you back by a certain day or time and if you're able to communicate to them it's being delayed, that can certainly be beneficial to alleviate their concerns. Do you have a personal story about an incident or rescue during an outdoor trip when something didn't quite go to plan? Maybe you got lost, injured, let down by some gear, preparation or something else. Look, honestly, it can happen to any of us at any time. 
regardless of how experienced we are. And it's by sharing these stories and tales that we can all learn and help to avoid them in the future. So if that's you, I'd love to hear from you. So please drop me an email to rescued at lotsoffreshair.com. That's rescued with a D. Now, one of the big questions, when should you actually use a PLB? When should you hit that SOS button? Once you've attempted two-way communication, and if two-way communication is not available, then that's when a distress beacon or a send device uh, could be activated in a situation of what we call is grave and imminent danger. Mm. So that really equates to when you're feeling or facing a life-threatening situation. And that's a personal decision, and that's different for everybody. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, um, and I like that you say it's going to be different for everyone because everyone's definition and idea of risk is different and also what might be to one person you know oh my gosh the world is ending um might be ah you know it's just a flesh wound i'll be right (laughs) um kind of thing so and i think something else to consider is is the timing during the day of, of if you know something's gone wrong when you choose to set that that beacon off oh indeed and so really the sooner the better and so if you're approaching just be mindful you know try and be mindful if you're approaching last light (laughs) for example you know you want to be activating a bit earlier than last light uh, because in some instances help may not be able to get to you overnight they might not be able to get to you till the next morning so the sooner you can activate the device and communicate you're needing help definitely one thing i've heard which just sounds like such wise advice is you may not have a a grave and imminent situation right now, but if you delay, it may develop and become that. So I guess, you know, something like a a medical condition or someone might be okay now, but if they don't have their medication with them, it could become something quite serious. So it's, it's one of those wicked problems is deciding when when is the right time to hit the button. But something I really liked you said earlier is that um, like if you accidentally set it off, there's no shame in it, just call us and let us know. But I guess there's no judgment from ANSA's perspective if you've acted in good faith in, in the circumstance, is there? Yeah, I think essentially the search and rescue officers would be very grateful to hear that you're safe and well. Absolutely, absolutely. So... Looking back then at these these other two-way devices, is there anything else we should know about them before we deep dive and think about buying one or what are some of the other things we might want to bear in mind? I think have a look at the – so we've talked about um, have a look and explore the, what satellite system, what coverage they might have. Have a look at whether – are you looking for a self-contained device or a, that's portable, has all the functionality in the device, can operate independently? Or are you looking at something that is Bluetooth to your mobile phone in which you use your mobile phone to do that text messaging, say, or you need an app uh, to interact and send those messages? Mm. And then have a look at who that registration service provider is because there are three different service providers on the market and they're all aligned with different companies. So uh, common ones are the IERCC, so that's the International Emergency Response Coordination Centre. That's a great acronym. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's known as GEOS. And the second one is Focus Point and the third one is Global Rescue. So each 
company or product is aligned to a different service provider. And also recommend have a look at the technical specifications and in the sense of compliance or standard compliance. What have they been tested and, you know, are they waterproof, durability? Um, there's only one international SEN standard as an example. So does it reference the RTCM standard? That's a really good point. So, you know, if there's an international standard associated with these SOS buttons on these, you know, two-way devices, you want to make sure that you're buying one that meets the standard or, or exceeds it, aren't you? Yeah, you want to have some confidence that you're buying a product that's been tested and approved to perform as you expect. Yeah, exactly. So if I was holding one of these two-way devices and I was pushing the SOS button there, so that doesn't go to AMSA directly in Canberra, does it? So it goes to somewhere else. Yeah, so when you activate the SOS, that is received by the commercial message service provider of which you've subscribed to. Okay, so that's one of those three emergency centres somewhere else in the world that aren't in Australia? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And they basically will do that triage or initial assessment. And once they identify and confirm the details of the distress, uh, they will notify the rescue coordination centre who's responsible for that region. Mm -hmm. And so if it's detected in Australia, they'll notify the RCC, so that's the AMSA Response Centre, and then subsequently if the location of distress is identified on land, then the AMSA Response Centre will then notify the state police. Got it. Okay. So it's just one more step in the the chain and it's it's a step of of people instead of the PLB, which is a step of automatically through technology going ping, ping, ping to the yes. to the RCC in Canberra. This goes to a, a third-party call centre somewhere else in the world and then they contact you guys. Yeah, so the way the message is processed is differently, but ultimately if you were to activate a PLB or a SEND device, the same coordination response would be coordinated. Great. That's good to know. That's really, really good to know. So is there anything else that we should know as consumers about these send devices, you call them, the the two-way ones. We've talked about the price is different because there's a subscription on top. Um, There's the battery life. You need to consider the the charging and keeping them powered. There's the way that they may need to be paired with another device like a mobile phone to, to actually operate messages, but they will always have that SOS button just directly on the device, which is always good to know. Um, and that they do have the benefits of giving you that two-way, that comfort for your loved ones and just for yourself. You might be bored. You might, I mean, gosh, I think I remember one, an early iteration of one of the devices you could even post a Facebook from it via satellite. <laughs> so maybe if you're a, um, a social media fan, then, uh, then that might be the way you want to head as well. And I think any sort of two-way communication device uh, I think is beneficial for anyone to consider. I guess for me, and I've had a lot of people ask me what what I carry and what I have, and again, I come back to some very wise words from someone I know who said, look, if you really care about your safety, you'd carry both. Oh, yes. If you can afford it, definitely it is something to consider is it's financially could be expensive for some people yeah. to consider as an option. But certainly we have seen some people carry both. And then what we see is that they complement each other. And so in some instances, not very often, but we may detect a 406 PLB 
but we also are receiving intelligence about a send device that is active and we're getting some two-way communication which is providing that level of detail around the nature of distress what the injury is or what sort of assistance is required and that gives us the ability to communicate that to the state police and give them that information to better coordinate a more effective response. And even just thinking about being able for the emergency services to be able to triage you know they might have a couple of you know, or a lot of things going on their board at that time. They might have a lot of um, emergency calls out and triple O's like, well, if you know that this is a a broken wrist or a sprained ankle as opposed to maybe, you know, um, cardiac arrest or chest problems or a snake bite or something like that. Yeah, the triaging is very important, understanding the seriousness of what's being reported. So there's lots of great information there, but I guess, you know, we're living in a time when technology is changing and moving and developing so quickly. And um, just this year, we've had the iPhone 14 roll out with its um, satellite capability. Are you able to to shed any light on that for us and, and sort of how that works? And have you guys seen some activations from it? Oh, sure. So I think it's such a great opportunity, the advancement in technology that we're witnessing at the moment. It is a bit hard to keep up, I must confess. Um, (laughs) It's it's moving very fast, which is very exciting. Um, And so the biggest announcement um, that we've seen, obviously, is Apple aligning themselves with uh, Global Star and enabling that SOS functionality in Australia. And so just to maybe to explain to people how that process works. So if you were to press the SOS button on your Apple iPhone 14, that message is sent to an Apple emergency relay centre and that's positioned outside of Australia. And then they will do that triaging and verification process and then they will forward that information to the emergency services network in Australia. So the AMSA response centre do not receive those messages that is directed to emergency services right okay that's really interesting so is that through the triple zero system or through a different system you uh, the triple o through triple o right okay so cutting out cutting out the AMSA. so uh AMSA is responsible for search and rescue in australia whereas emergency services are responsible for fire police and ambulance so it's not just the iphone it's not just apple who are dabbling in new technologies it's it's other organizations as well what what can you tell me about that oh so some further exciting announcements uh that we're all learning about is optus and telstra and so optus have announced their link with spacex starlink Mm. and they're looking at allowing SMS late 2024 and voice and data late 2025. Wow. And Telstra have also signed up with Starlink and they're looking at home phone and broadband services in remote Australia end of this year. Well, that is a complete game changer. So Optus and Telstra teaming with Starlink. So that's satellite and it doesn't sound like it's it's years in the future. It sounds like it's it's coming Yeah, very exciting. Uh, It's another option for consumers to consider as two-way communication in those remote areas where your GSM phone coverage doesn't have service. But with that new technology, you also need to do that assessment. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we all know some considerations that need to be thought through with mobile phones. Uh, So, you know, then mobile phones are not designed or tested or even approved to function as a replacement to a distress alerting device and they don't meet those international performance standards. Mm. Uh, 
So you need to have a think about, you know, our mobile phones for battery power, endurance, waterproof, flotation. We all know how long our batteries last on our phone and, oh, where's the charger? You yeah, know? <laughs> especially if you're using it for taking photos in the bush or maybe using it as your, your um, navigation app, something like that. Yeah, so I think there's certainly uh, an opportunity there with the new technology, but it's like any consideration of new technology, uh, you need to weigh it up and assess those functions and specifications. One other advancement, which I don't think many people have heard about, is the advancement of the 406 megahertz distress beacons. And we talked about return link service earlier with the message acknowledgement capability, which is currently available. Mm. That is going to be further enhanced with two-way messaging with a distress beacon and a rescue coordination centre. So that is actually looking to be assessed for approval mid-2024. So I'm anticipating some products with that new capability in the near future. Wow, that is like that is massive. So that would give you that two-way communication capability, but on a standard PLB, that one button, one job, it'd be in, instead it'd be, you know, maybe a couple of buttons and a couple of jobs. That's and that's the one that's direct to, to AMSA in Canberra. Yeah. So there's another advancement that's coming. Great. I guess one of the things to consider is how do we look after our beacons? Is there sort of guidelines around storing them or shoving them in our packs or what do we need to be aware of? So I like to say, look after your beacon, it'll look after you. Mm. So if you need to carry a beacon, ideally it should be carried on the body or within easy reach. Also recommend that you refer to the manufacturer user manual for guidance related to the particular model around the storage and carriage guidelines. But some handy hints around the storage and it's really about looking after the beacon and preventing those inadvertent activations right so what might cause that so storing it in a backpack or a bum bag you want to avoid cramming it with other objects and avoid pressure or weight of other objects on top of it or even your body say you're leaning on your backpack for example when you're having a rest and things like when you're storing the beacon, you know, PLBs are waterproof, but don't store them or expose them to water long term. Yeah. Uh, that's not looking after it. And avoid magnetic sources. Why would that be? Uh, sometimes they can inadvertently activate the beacon. It depends on the design of the particular beacon model. Uh, so some PLB models, the way they're designed, uh, they've got what you call a read switch in the circuit board. And when that's positioned near a magnetic source, it turns the beacon on. Oh, so where would you where would we find a magnetic source um, that might you know do that kind of thing for us? Yeah, so things to consider are things like a microphone, radio speaker, or even say a metal detector. Oh, okay. Gosh, that could uh, all the uh, fossickers out there, yeah, who are going into remote areas, you might just want to think uh, not storing them together. Just something to consider. Okay, cool. And um, what was that line you said again? Look after your beacon, and it will look after you. Oh. Nice. You should be in marketing, Linda. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, Linda, thank you so much for your time. I have learned so much out of this. Things like how many options there are on the market and, and how to best, I guess, go in with your eyes and ears wide open and do a lot of research before choosing what's best for you and and maybe consider how involved some of them might be and how simple if you might just want a really simple device 
that's just, you know, reliable and simple in one job. You might want something that's, you know, steps up and gives you a load more capability. You might want the tracking. You might want the the uh, the map, the downloadable map with, you know, add your, it works as a, a GPS or GNSS, as you say, type device as well and has all the bells and whistles and there's kind of like lots of things in between. So it's, I guess, say fortunate or unfortunate, there's uh, lots of different ways to skin this cat in terms of emergency communications. But um, it's so great to know that AMS has got our back in Canberra and, yeah, you operate that customer support part as well. So if you've got questions with, with your devices, is that correct? Or is it problems with the registration that we can always get in touch with you guys? Uh, certainly. If you require assistance with registration, you can contact AMSA. Or if you require a bit more information about distress alerting devices, equipment, systems, you're more than welcome to contact us as well. Yeah, there is loads of information on your website, which is amsa.gov.au. And um, yeah, there'll be links to all of that in the show notes as well. So Linda, thanks for your time. You're an absolute legend. And I can't wait to hear about the next exciting technological advancements. Um, so hopefully you'll come back and, uh, and be a guest again on the podcast in the future. Thanks, Cara. It's been an absolute pleasure. The Rescued podcast is produced on the unceded lands of the Gundungurra and Darug people of the Blue Mountains of New South Wales. I pay my respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge their enduring connection to and care for country. Special thanks to our sponsors, Paddy Pallon. This has been a Lots of Fresh Air production.